When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by The Edge of Lost by acclaimed author Christina McMorris. The Edge of Lost is an epic journey from the islands of Ireland to New York in the 1920s to San Francisco Bay and back again. A young Irish boy immigrates to America with the help of a well-meaning Italian family coming of age in the shadows of Prohibition-era organized crime on the vaudeville circuit and ultimately in the prison island of Alcatraz, where he forges an unlikely friendship with a prison guard's daughter, changing the course of both of their lives. The Edge of Lost is now available everywhere books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. Visit christinamcmorris.com for more information. And that's Christina with a K. So K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A mcmorris.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 29, and today, in preparation for the holidays, we are talking about some of the books we are thankful for. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, girl. Hello. You're back from the big city. I am. I, I went to the National Book Award ceremony, and it was amazing. I am surprised that you're still here, because if anything could make you feel like you had swallowed a cat and broken out in kittens, it would be attending the National Book Awards. I I could not. I just stood there, and like just in, in a dinner, I sat there. It would have been weird if I was standing at dinner. Um, <laughs> and I just like looked around, and I just could not stop like swiveling my head around and looking at everybody, because it was magical. I felt like Cinderella. Without the rodent stylists, I was just like, what am I doing here? This is so amazing. (laughs) It was very exciting. The winners were great. It was so cool. I'm so happy for you and jealous, but mostly happy, but a little bit jealous. Yeah, I got to meet incredible people. I got to meet Alyssa Chappelle, who is like my... Oh, she's so uh, great. Oh, she's so amazing. She was so nice. And I kind of followed Bonnie Jo Campbell around, but she was like busy talking to people and dancing and I didn't want to just like <laughs> interrupt and be like, hey. So I would need you to fangirl by proxy at Bonnie Jo Campbell. Yeah. I just love her. Yeah, maybe next time. But it was incredible. I'm so glad. You're such a fancy lady. Maybe next time we'll get a well redheads invitation. Hint, hint, National Book Award people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's beautiful. It was a great time. Well uh, worth the ten hours on the bus. Oh, and I you spent. were in the same you were in the same building with James Patterson, and you did not take your knife and fork to him. Oh, he was he was really cool. He get, he uh, got an award for being super generous, basically. And he he was like, you know, I know that I'm the Big Mac in the room, and I was like, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, I, he was really great. His speech was really good. Um, you know, he talked a bit about like how he he was like he like I'm the elephant in the room. Oh, you know. But he was really cool. And I sat right behind uh, Jennifer Egan and Don DeLillo. Oh, I was like trying not to hyperventilate. (laughs) That was incredible. So, 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to do this show with you because I think we've told each other some of the stories behind some of our favorite books before um, or the books that have most changed us or that we're most thankful for. And so it'll be fun to do it today for our all the books community. How did you make your list? I picked I went with the first uh, five I could think of. That's, That's how basically... I do anything now. <laughs> like the first ones. It's basically what I do too. Uh, so what is first on your list of books you're thankful for? Um, this is a book from when I was a little kid. I was thinking about it. Um, for the show that we did last week, I reread those books and I mm. very rarely go back and read things over again. And I, I was like trying to write these books up today and I'm like, I don't remember. I just remember that I love them. I've been raving about them for so long, but I don't remember all those details. And I was thinking like each book that I read is like, a coat of paint on my brain. Yeah. You know, and I've read so many books now. Like, my brain has so many coats on, it can't put its arms down. It's like <laughs> Randy in A Christmas Story. Like, it's just like, ah. I'm oh, trying to remember the details. Don't let anyone convince you to stick your tongue to a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but the first book that I chose was one that I read when I was a kid called The Western Game by Ellen Raskin, which I think most everyone knows this book. It won the Newbury in, like, 1978. Um, it, it was the first book that I read where I was like, this book was written for me. Mm. Like, this speaks to me. It was really cool. Um, it's about this girl, Turtle Wexler, which is like the coolest name ever. And there's a man named Samuel Westing and he dies and he, and his lawyer contacts these 16 people and says, Hey, you were all beneficiaries in, um, Samuel Westing's will. You get to move into this big fancy building. And also, uh, if one of you murdered him, oh. and while you're in this building living together, if you figure out who the murderer is, that specific person who, who solves the, the puzzle gets all of his money, like all his millions and millions. Basically, Ellen Raskin predicted like Big Brother reality television before it happened. You know, like, let's put these strangers in a building together and see what happens, you know? Um, so it, it was just... I wanted my life to be so much more interesting than it was <laughs> when I was little, you know. And I read this book, and I, I got my friends together, and I was like, "We should, uh, we should make a secret club and a group." And and there were like there was like graph paper involved, which made me feel really <laughs> smart. And Aww. you know, we were my mom worked at the library, and I remember like this one afternoon we were at the library, and I'm like planning out how we're gonna have the secret group and the secret society, and we we're gonna do all these things. And you know, by the end of the afternoon, my friends were like, "This is really dumb," and we're going home. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Oh. But it's just, it, it, I love this book so much. It is one of the books that I have read many times, uh, but not in the last few years. So I think I definitely need to get back to it. Um, what do you have first? I've never read The Westing Game, so I have to confess <gasps> that to you. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it just like missed my childhood somehow. I'm having your name removed from my arm. Oh no. I'm just kidding. Oh no. Um, it's so really first... on my butt. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's our next trip together. We'll just get <laughs> tattoos. We'll we'll get Cabbage Patch Kid tattoos of each other's names because that is a totally normal and healthy thing to do. <laughs> Uh, so I changed my first pickup on the fly because you were talking about that thing with your friends then getting inspired by books. And it reminded me of, I think, probably my best childhood book memory, other than stuff with my family, um, was discovering the Babysitter's Club. And that did like, OK, the Babysitter's Club is definitely more vanilla than the Westing game, it sounds like. But it did that same thing for me that you're talking about of it made me like see what I thought I wanted to be like when I was older. And there were all these different girls. And so I, you got to see 
like, well, you could be the uptight one or you could be the cool athletic one or you could be the goofy one that everybody turns to when they just need a moment of levity. Um, And everybody was reading them at the time. So you had books to talk about with anybody who also liked books. Um, But I remember putting together my kid kit um, with like games and stuff well before I actually was qualified to babysit or had any babysitting jobs. But like I was ready. I had the kit. (laughs) And in retrospect, like my parents must have just been indulging me like, yes, you can we'll take you to Target and you can buy like $10 worth of craft supplies to carry around and feel like a babysitter to be or something. Uh, But it made me feel grown up and cool. Um, And I had a good friend who lived in my neighborhood uh, named Kate. And she was also, you know, one of like the nerdy kids who was into books. And I would go over to her house and we would sit on her parents screened in patio and we would eat chips and salsa and read our Babysitter's Club books together. And that was my first experience having a friend that I could sit silently with and just read. And it was fun to be together in our solitude of just reading. And like, I'm sure that we occasionally like looked up from our books and talked about something that happened at school or talked about something that was happening in the babysitter's club. But that was a really formative moment to realize like, aha, I can do this thing that I like doing that is mostly me being alone in my own head with someone else's words with another person. And the act of doing that could be really meaningful. Um, and I've been, you know, lucky to have friends and now to be married to a person who also likes to read and to be able to continue experiencing that. But that babysitter's club moment was really instructive. And I'm sure I would have gotten there eventually with other books if it hadn't have been the babysitter's club but it was and so i i always think fondly about the experience of reading those and what they meant to me but also about the memories attached um, of that friendship where i first figured out you know like how to be alone in silence with uh, in comfortable silence with a friend and how pleasurable that could really be so babysitter's club was first up for me I've never read a Babysitter's Club book. Uh, maybe we should do that. I heard that they hold up pretty well. Like I was I was talking to Preeti, one of our colleagues from Book Riot and panels recently, and she we were talking about how the Nancy Drew books don't hold up. Like it's kind of racist in a lot of places. Oh dear. Um, yeah. So I'm not gonna read Nancy Drew again because I need my Nancy Drew memories to stay pure. Yeah. Um but she said she like binged through a bunch of Babysitters Club a year or two ago and that they hold up. So, I mean, I don't know if they'll still be good since you don't have memories attached to them, but maybe you can read Babysitter's Club and I'll read The Westing Game. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good trade. Mm -hmm. And then we'll get our tattoos. They'll take us like five minutes. They're very small books. Um, So that was my first pick. Uh, Before we go to the rest of the show, our second sponsorship spot today is taken up by me. Uh, We, every year at the end of the year, do a Best Books of 2015 box that we sell in the Book Riot store. Um, And it's available now. So you can go to store.bookriot.com and see it. It has four of Team Book Riot's favorite books of the year. I basically opened a Google Doc and let all of the contributors list out what they thought were the best books of the year. And then people were putting stars next to ones that they loved that someone else had mentioned first. And I used those as a proxy for what we really liked. And then I kicked out all of the like, you know, big top line books that everybody has read. Um, So if you're, you know, like a Power Goodreads user, you're probably still going to discover something in this box that you have not yet read. It has four great books. It has three awesome bookish items to help you live your best literary life. Um, They're really great. The box is $100. The total contents are worth, I think, about $125, $120, somewhere in there. You're getting bang for your buck. We have a limited number of them. So go to the Book Riot store 
and grab your best books of 2015 box now. And then we can all have read a bunch of great things together. It was a lot of fun to put together. I'm excited. I don't I don't even know what's in the box. It's really good. It's really good. It is a secret. Uh, it's a really good box. Okay, so what's next on your list? I think I might have talked about this one on the podcast before, but I really don't care. Um, it's The Giant's House by Elizabeth McCracken, mm. which I don't think you've read. I have not. I've started on with um, the only one of her books that I've read is Thunderstruck, but I'm, I bought The Giant's House after that. Well, I know that I, I've at least raved about her before because she's my yes. idol and I love her. And she's very gracious and hasn't taken out a restraining order. Um, I just, I, I love her so much. Uh, it's about a librarian in Cape Cod in the 1950s, uh, a woman named Peggy, and she's 26, and she's pretty disillusioned with life. And this boy comes into the library. He's 11 years old, and he's six feet tall. Mm. And as the story progresses, he continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And he's up past eight feet tall, and they have this really remarkable friendship that blossoms into the most unusual romance, um, which is, is very strange and, and um, unconventional. And the people in the town, you know, find it very strange, but they just have this amazing connection. And I just, I don't know, I read this book, it came out shortly after I graduated and I had moved out of the house, and it was the first time I felt like I had read a perfect book. I was like, this is what it feels Aww. like to be an adult and to read something that just is so magical and means so much. I mean, I just, I, I had read The Secret History before, which I read every year, which I really loved, um, which we've talked about like 500 times on the show, which is why yeah. I'm not going to talk about it again today. But, um, and I remember, I love this book and I, I'm sure I've told you about my cat, Bella, the fur shark. Mm -hmm. She was like the world's worst cat. She was horrible. Um, for some reason, I got this book out from the library, and for some reason, I was like, I'm going to go walk to the park, and I'm going to put it in my backpack, and I'm going to take Bella. Like, I'm <gasps> going to put her on a little, I bought a little cat leash, and I put oh her my my, gosh. in my backpack with the book, and it lasted all of, like, 10 seconds. <laughs> she just, you know, thrashed around, because I don't know why I thought this was this a good idea. This is a terrible but hilarious yeah. idea. Yeah. So, of course, I was like, okay, never mind. This is a bad idea, and I let her out, but it, <laughs> she had already, like, gouged these big scratch <sighs> marks into the cover of the book, which I will always remember, like, <laughs> taking it back to the library. And they didn't even, they didn't even, like, blink. They were like, okay. Oh, like, you know they've gotten books back <laughs> in much worse condition before. Yeah. But I'll always think of, like, Bella. You know, I still miss her. And Aww. even though she was so awful. Um, <laughs> and, and this book, you know, just being the first perfect book that I've read. And, I mean, I love so many books, but there are not many that I think are perfect. And this is one of them. Um, so you should read it. And I will. And read it. And, you know, if you don't, no big. But someday I will. Yeah. I met her at the National Book Festival last year right after I had read Thunderstruck. So I was like, it was totally fresh fangirling and she was very gracious when I was like hi I like you and I follow yeah. you on Twitter and hi <laughs> she must get that all the time I'm sure she does she was wonderful I, and I I like how her brain works I definitely yeah. am gonna read more of her books um my next pick is Sula by Toni Morrison it's the book that I have reread more than any other book and I'm also not a big rereader there's like a handful of books that I go back to um but Sula is one that I 
keep going back to every year or so. Um, I first read it my senior year in college, and I've told this story on other podcasts, so I'm sorry if you listen to the Book Riot show and you've heard this story before. Um, but it's an important story in my reading life, so I'm telling it again. Um, I took my like capstone course for my English minor. You had to take an in-depth seminar about one writer. And I think the options that semester were either Graham Greene or Toni Morrison. And I had never read any Toni Morrison, but I knew of her, and that seemed infinitely more interesting than a Graham Greene seminar. Uh, so I took the Toni Morrison seminar. The woman who taught the course, the professor, was a Toni Morrison scholar and had been studying her work and writing about it forever. Um, and we read the whole catalog at that point, except for Tar Baby. So we had read The Bluest Eye, and that just opened my eyes to what Toni Morrison's work was going to be like. And then Sula is her second novel. And we read that in class. And it was, it's just, I think it's a pretty perfect book too. It's a perfect introduction to the unsettledness and the weirdness you get in Toni Morrison's work, where uh, I usually say like, if you're a hundred percent confident that you know what's happening in the book, then you're wrong. Like you're doing it wrong if you're reading Toni Morrison and you think you have a full grasp on everything that's going on. Um, so there are some weird and unexplained and unsettled things in Sula, but the core of the story is this friendship between two women. Um, and they it's complicated by their relationships. It's complicated by sexuality. There are other families that are also complicated in the story. And there is a uh, there's a character who dies in a fire. He's a drug addict. And there's a, a point where you wonder if his mother made this happen on purpose? Was it a mercy killing, essentially, because he was an addict and wasn't going to get better? Um, and the book had already blown my mind. But then the class discussion that we had about it was ex just totally explosive. And I think even though it was my it was like the final semester of college for me, it was one of those moments that it was like, this is what education is supposed to be like. Uh, this is what books can do when a bunch of people read the same words, but your brains do totally different things to them. And then you can get all fired up and yell at each other about them. And this is how meaningful literature can be. It just was so powerful. Um, and in the time since then, I've, I'd have just loved the book. So I go back every year or two and I read it and I've got the same copy from college, which is now like 14 years old. And I underline different things each time and I make different notes. And so that one copy has all these different colors of ink. And it's kind of like seeing ghosts of former versions of myself and getting to be like, oh, that thing seemed so significant when I read it five years ago. And where was I in my life when I was thinking that that thing was so significant versus where am I now? Um, it's, it's just a really beautiful, powerful, important book. And uh, people ask me all the time, since I love Toni Morrison, where they should start with her. And I think The Bluest Eye is a really good starting point because it's by far the most accessible of her novels. But if you were just going to read like three Toni Morrison books and you don't want to do the whole thing, pick up Sula. Um, it's short and it packs quite a punch and it will give you the full like effect of uh, what she can do. It's really wonderful. Did you see the picture of Angela Flournoy in New York Magazine dressed I as did. Sula? Oh, it's so incredible. It's that was perfect. such a cool project. Yeah, it was really neat. I really enjoyed it. Alexandra Kleeman was in it. She wrote, yeah, the, it was what writers dressed as their favorite literary characters. Yes. Yeah, there Very were five cool. women. Um, and like Emily St. John Mandel, Anya Yanagihara, and oh, who's the other one? Naomi Jackson was the other one. Um, it was really neat to look at. Yeah, I, that was cool. I looked so closely at every person at the National Book Awards. I wanted them to be Alexandra Kleeman, who wrote You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine, which is mm -hmm. pretty much my favorite book this year. I just, I 
But then I, I was like, if I actually saw her, I don't know that I could approach her. Like, <laughs> she'd be like, okay. Um, but the next book I'm going to talk about is the book that I most wish I had read when I was young. Like, I uh-huh. really, truly feel like if I had read this book when I was young, it would have changed my life and I would have thought differently about things. Um, it is My Name is Asher Lev by Kaim Podik. I think that's how you say his name. I've never actually said it out loud, so I'm hoping I think you're right, too. I've also never correct. read this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just I came across this book um, at the bookstore. I came in in a box of used books, and a customer saw it, and I was like, oh, I loved that book, and I picked it up, and I was like, this looks really interesting. And my coworker was like, oh, we had to read that in school. I'm like, I didn't have to read this in school. Yeah. Um, why, you know? And so I read it, and I was just like, that was amazing! Just mind-blowing. It's about... A boy, his name is Asher Lev. Big surprise. Spoiler. <laughs> um, he grows up in a Hasidic Jewish community in New York City in the 1950s, and pretty much from the time he can hold a pencil, he shows uh, artistic tendencies, and then he starts making art. And when he's very little, he has these artistic inclinations that do not match with his religion, and his community is very upset that he's interested in, in painting and drawing. And then, as he gets older, he, he goes to... Um, museums and libraries and looks at art and he wants to paint the crucifixion scene and he wants to paint nudes and this is just just unheard of like he just pretty much uh, um what's the word i'm looking for i've lost all my words he's he becomes an outcast in his community let's say like he distances himself and they um are very disapproving of him and his family is is shamed and you know like why are you trying to ruin our lives by doing this but he, the way that that Podic writes it it's like He's, he just can't help himself. Like, he cannot stop, no matter what, like, for anything. And he becomes mm-hmm. very disillusioned with, like, the people around him in the world, and he just wants to make his art and, and his paint his visions. And the way that he writes about art and, like, describes art and the need to create things is, like, nothing else I had read. And also about, like, nonconformism and, and you know, being different from people and, you know, following your heart. It was, it was mind-blowing, um, I actually dug this off the shelf this morning. I was like, I'm going to reread this soon. Like I am because I was just so completely blown away by it the first time. And um, like Lonesome Dove and The Forever War, which are two of my other favorite books, uh, this book has a sequel uh, or two. Um, I, Lonesome Dove had some prequels that came out after, but I've never read them because I'm afraid to. Like mm-hmm. there's there's another book that you're talking about later um, that has sequels oh, that yeah, I uh-huh. haven't read. You know, I'm just too afraid. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it would like take away from how much I love these other books or, you know, they, they might like try to explain things differently than how you saw it. So I've been afraid to, to read the sequels. But again, this book is amazing. It is My Name is Asher Lev. Uh, my next one is a book that I read at the exact right time in my life. Um, I don't think I would have appreciated it a few years earlier. And if it had come a few years later, I would have loved it, but I would have longed to have been able to read it when I was younger. So it was just exactly perfect for me. It's When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. I know that I have talked about this book on the show before. Um, this is the most recent book and one of only a handful that I can say really actually changed my life. Um, we toss the phrase around a lot, I think, in books like, oh, that book is amazing. It changed my life. But but if you if you think about it, there are few books, I think, in each reader's life that really make 
measurable or like really qualitative changes. Um, and this is one of them for me. The setup is fascinating. Uh, when Terry Tempest Williams was a younger woman, her mother was 54 and her mother died and left behind her uh, life's worth of journals. They uh, came from Mormon culture and in Mormon culture, the women keep journals and that's an important part of it. They leave those journals for their children as, you know, written records of their lives and their inner lives and their thoughts. And this, it's a very important thing. Um, but it turned out that all of Terry's mother's journals were blank and now her mother was dead and she had these blank journals and no explanation for it. Um, so the year that Terry Tempest Williams was 54, the age at which her mother died, she wrote uh, 54 meditations, essentially. I think the subtitle of the book is 54 Variations on Voice, but I always think of these vignettes as meditations on voice. Um, and so the larger theme of the book is... What does it mean to have a voice? What does it mean to choose to use your voice or to not use your voice? Why might a person, especially a woman, withhold her thoughts and her stories? Um, and then also there's stuff about womanhood and family and relationships between mothers and daughters and marriages and politics. And it's just, it just hit me in all the right places. Um, there, it was these thoughts from a woman who's at a, a, a later stage in her life than I am, um, who was providing wisdom and experience and knowledge from that experience um, about the same kinds of questions that I was facing in my life as a woman in my late 20s and my early 30s when I read it. Um, the way that she wrote about certain things changed the way that I had conversations in my life. I said things like talking to my husband that I would not have said um, without the nudge from this book. Um, I think when I was going through reading it, I read it and I finished it and I started it over immediately again. And then I finished it and I started it over immediately again. And I read it four times in a row and I had never done that with a book and I've not done it with any book since. And I was talking to Jeff, um, our colleague at Book Riot about it. And he was like, so it's basically stuff that you had simmering and she turned up the heat. Um, and that felt like the right way to describe it. It was a really singular reading experience for me. Um, I've given the book to other people. It hasn't always hit them the same way. I think it's uh, I think it's an incredible work, um, but the life changingness of it happened to me because it was the right recommendation from um, from also our colleague Jen at the exact right time. Uh, and so in that way, also, the book was a gift from a, a person who knows me very well and who knew what I needed to read before I knew what I needed to read. Um, so I've revisited it since. I also have it on audio. And sometimes I just listen to like a chapter when I'm walking the dog, if I've had a rough day or I'm thinking about something or just need to like refocus. Um, this book has really become a touchstone for me. So that's When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. She's so great. She is. Um, the next book I picked is The Known World by Edward P. Jones. Um, this I read a review of this book, I think in like Newsweek. I said this, and I thought, this sounds really amazing. And it hadn't come out yet, so I ordered it and, and I read it as soon as I got it. And it was mind-blowing. It's um, so good. Oh, it won the National Book Critics Award. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. It won the International Impact Dublin Literary Award. It was a finalist for the National Book Award. He's, like, all the, the awards. Um, and it's set in the South in the middle of the 18th century, and it revolves around Henry Townsend, a black farmer and former slave. And it exa examines both white and black slave owners. And I had never heard of of black slave owners before. Mm. Like this was not something that we were taught in school and it blew my mind reading about this, but it's, it's about like 8 million things. Um, 
Valerie Martin said in her Guardian review that summarizing this rewarding novel is a hopeless enterprise, which is oh, true completely story. true. There's so many characters, there's so many stories, there's so many people that goes back and forth in time. Um, they actually, the publisher, it, I think I'm getting the story correct, the publisher actually added a glossary <gasps> to try and help people keep track of like time and, and people mm-hmm. and characters and all this stuff. And um, I went to see him speak, and, and he thought that that was not giving the reader enough credit. Like, he wasn't happy that they had done that. That's um, so interesting. But this this novel just blew my mind. And it, it was the first time um, I, I actively went to a reading. Like, I worked in a bookstore, so I saw readings, mm-hmm. of course, you know. And, and But I drove to UNH to see him read, and it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Just in general, like, everything that happened was crazy, like, I I was so excited. This was several years ago, but many years after the book had come out, and um, he was reading a, a class there had had invited him to speak. So when I got there, like the place where it was, there were like hundreds of people outside, and there was this man holding up this big sign that said Edward. And I was like, I can't believe so many people are excited for this book. This is so great. <laughs> and then as I got closer, it actually said Edwards, and the guy had like turned the corner, and John Edwards was in the same building, <sighs> and all these people were there to see him. But for like one brief second, my heart leapt at like how many people were excited about books, you know. <laughs> and and it turned out, unfortunately, that he was in a different, smaller room with a much smaller crowd. <laughs> but he was incredible, and he said one of the most incredible things that meant so much to me. Um, he was invited to talk to these these college students, you know, and and one of them was like, you know, what advice do you have for for young students and young writers, you know, and he said, drop out of college. College is a waste of money. If you want to be a writer, you should just read everything that you can get your hands on. And wow. you can see the professor was like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's so you know? funny. But I was like, yes. Awesome. <laughs> it was just, it, it was really cool to hear him say that. Oh, um, that's the best. Because, I mean, he was I, he was an accountant until his, his 50s. He worked on this book for like 10 years before it was published. And boom, Pulitzer. Wow. So um, it was just, it gave me hope yeah. that someday, you know, oh, it's so maybe good. I have a book in me. And, you know, it taught me about history, things I hadn't learned when I was in school. And it was really, really incredible. And again, it is called The Known World by Edward P. Jones. I read that in college, but not for an assignment. It was like in those days... Every month I would go to the borders that was near my school and get four books and I would have one book a week to read, like in addition to what I was reading for class. And it was on one of the like buy two, get one free paperback tables. And I saw it and I saw the Pulitzer sticker and I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. And man, was I unprepared for what that book was going to do to me. It's so good. When I (laughs) took my book up to him to get it signed, like I I mentioned, I bought it right when it came out. And this was like six years after it had come out. He was like, whoa you got one of the first ones. Like, he knew that it was one of the first uh, ones. I was like, yes, and if you would please sign it, this is going to put my cat through college. <laughs> <laughs> Good line. Um, my next one is significantly less exciting in subject matter, but has also changed my life. It's Getting Things Done by David Allen. Um, there's, like, a kind of veritable cult around getting things done, and I think for very good reason. This is a book about organization and how to keep your shit together. Um, it was written, I think, originally it was written for, you know, executives who have lots of paper and lots of folders to keep track of things, um, and they've since updated it.
more for the digital age. But the core idea is that your brain is a terrible place to keep ideas, that your brain is for having ideas, but not for storing them. And so then you should write absolutely everything down. Um, Getting that into my practice of how I was working. I read the book right as we were launching Book Riot and I had a bajillion things to do. And if I was just trying to carry around my to-do list in my head, everything was going to fall apart. Um, So it was very formative and incredibly helpful. Um, And it really cut down on the like problem of being, you know, driving to the grocery store and having an idea of a thing that needed to get done, but then not being able to do it because I was on my way to the grocery store and then not again remembering that idea until another time that I also couldn't do anything about the idea. So I got really in the practice of writing everything down. Um, The other principle that I really took away from the first reading was if a thing is going to take you two minutes or less, you do the thing right away. Um, And then if it's going to take more than two minutes, you put it on a list and then you process your list into, you know, different inboxes of how tasks are going to get done. Like this sounds very tedious. And at first it is you dump your whole brain onto a massive list and then you figure out how to get those things going. But it fundamentally changed the way that I work and the way that I think about work. Um, and then I discovered the OmniFocus app for Mac and iPhones, which is built off these principles. And so if you read Getting Things Done and you have a Mac or an iPhone and you get the OmniFocus app, you can like manage your whole life that way. Everything I do for work, everything I have to do around the house, everything that I'm like helping a friend with, anything that has to get done at all, any ideas I have about stuff, everything just goes through the Getting Things Done filter in my brain and then into OmniFocus on one of my devices. And that is how I function as a human being. Um, Jeff had read it. Amanda Nelson, one of our colleagues also had read it. And it's not exaggerating, I don't think, to say that Book Riot wouldn't exist, at least in the shape that it currently exists, without getting things done. I just don't know how we would have managed um, all the little pieces that it takes to make a thing like this work when there were so few of us in the early days and so much to do. Um, So that's Getting Things Done by David Allen. Uh, If you read it, I will happily nerd out with you on Twitter about uh, your new, more productive life. I haven't read it because I don't want to do anything. (laughs) <laughs> also fair. Yeah. If it was called Getting Reading Done, I would have read it 500 times over. <laughs> Which would probably be like two things. Sit down with I'm book, pretty sure, at Liberty, reading. that Getting Reading Done is the book you're going to write someday. <laughs> I'm too busy reading. <laughs> yeah. What's your last one? We're down to okay. your last pick. Yes. Um, I, the, uh, I'm going to keep talking about the National Book Awards, but uh, the next book that I chose is Zazen by Vanessa Veselka. And I worship her and this book. And when I was at the National Book Awards, uh, the people who work for her publisher, she had uh, announced that they were going to, Riverhead announced they were publishing her next book. Um, oh, I nice. I think like two years ago now they announced it. So I was following the Riverhead people around, like being like, excuse me, do you know anything about the Vanessa Visalka <laughs> book? And they were probably like, woman, why aren't you on the dance floor? Leave me alone, you know? But they were very nice about it and like they told me what they knew. And, you know, it's in the works still. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. But anyway, um, this is called Zazen. And it was the first book that uh, Red Lemonade published. It's this little indie press. And it was when I first, I mean, I had read indie press books and loved them, but like it's when I first realized like how important independent publishers were. And, you know, like the big publishers, they publish amazing stuff. And they can because they have the resources, you know, And but it, it's like an extra treat to find something so delightful from an indie publisher. Um, this one is weird and smart and it's like about 
America in the not-so-distant future where there are wars actually being fought here now. Like, we're not going to other countries to fight war. Like, people are coming here to help us fight wars. And they're raging across America. There's all this political upheaval, and, and people are actually leaving the country. Like, they're, they're fleeing the United States. And there's a woman named Della who stays behind, and she's this really um, unhappy woman in her early 20s. She works at a vegan restaurant. She hates all the customers. Um, and she's just trying to, like, make her way among the chaos and decide what, what she wants to do. And as the violence continues and gets closer to home, Della finds herself involved in the upheaval. Maybe. She's having mm-hmm. a hard time distinguishing what is real and what isn't, and she thinks that she might be involved with the people behind these bombings that are taking place, but she's not really sure because she can't remember and her brain isn't isn't quite working the way it used to. Um, and so you have to figure out, like... Is she actually part of this, or is it in her head? Are these bombings actually taking place? You know, it's so surreal and awesome. And yeah, I'm just gonna keep saying awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna let you talk about your last book. But again, okay. it's Zazen by Vanessa Vasalka, and you should read it now. And then you can all join me in waiting for her next book. Okay, I'm cheating and putting two books together in my last pick, but I promise I will make it make sense. Um, So the first half of this selection is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, which I know we both love. Uh, That's our Liberty Rebecca wheelhouse for sure. Um, It is set in the also not so distant future. I think it actually might begin in 2016, but like when I read it, in 2002, 2016 seemed forever away. Um, the Jesuits detect what they think is music coming from outer space, and they put together a team of scientists and linguists and like anthropologists, but also priests to uh, go in a spaceship to this other planet from which they think music is coming and figure out, is it actually music? And if it is music, then who is making the music? Um And also in a larger picture, then like, what does this mean about the nature of the universe? And what does it mean about God and the things that people believe in if there is life out there that is not just life on Earth? Um, And so it's it asks really big questions about faith and belief. And it's a really beautiful and heartbreaking story. Um, And it was the first time that I had read something that was essentially science fiction, um, but is written through a very literary lens. And I was like, oh that's what science fiction can do. Like I was a big lit snob through college and I would have been, I would have like turned my nose about it. If someone had told me this was a science fiction novel, I probably would have missed the sparrow. And so I'm deeply grateful to the friend who recommended it to me um, and got me over that because man, it's so good. But it, it sort of made something click in my brain of like, Oh, right. Okay. So science fiction is about exploring the same kinds of big questions that I think literary fiction does so well. But then you also get to read a fun story with great characters and it's compelling and stuff actually happens. Like it's the first time I started to understand what genre could do. Um, And so that was just a really powerful and important reading experience. And then I've spent like really since then trying to learn more about genre. And in the last couple of years, really in a more focused way, reading across a bunch of different genres and trying to become familiar with them. Um, Sci-fi and fantasy are my like final frontier because I don't do well with world building. I have a really hard time picturing stuff in my head. So I come and go with those books. But this year I read Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, which I got to rave about on the show because it came out after we started started doing the podcast. Um, And it's a fantasy novel about a sorcerer, like the the supply of magic has been cut off to England from fairyland. And he's supposed to go and figure out why. Um, But along the way, he stops at this school that is keeping 
girls and women who had practiced magic and it's teaching them how to suppress their magic and it really harms the girls and women. And so the sorcerer becomes like a crusader for allowing women to do magic because we don't want to hurt the women, but also having more magic in the world is good. Um, And it's so feminist and so funny. And it was, I know I said on the show and some people got mad at me that it was all the things that I wished that Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell had been, but it was like, the magic sorcery England, you know, serious kind of setup, but it was such a delight to read. And I had that click moment again of like, this is what genre can do. This is what genre is supposed to feel like. It should be a delight um, to read these stories and to be in these other worlds. And so I, I know that I never would have been a reader who would have picked up Sorcerer to the Crown if it hadn't have been for that experience with the Sparrow. Um, so that is my cheating connection between those two books. And there are sequels to The Sparrow. I read one of them. It's not bad, but if you like unanswered questions at the end of books, I would say just stick with The Sparrow. I have decided that I have so many things in my wheelhouse now that I got a bigger place, so now I have a wheel mansion. (laughs) Is there room for me? As long as there's room for me in our two-headed Snuggie, you're fine. Yeah, and we can hang out by the wheel pool. Oh, there's a pool. Yeah. Of course. Can I? Okay. <laughs> well, obviously, there's a pool yeah, in it's our a mansion. wheel mansion. <laughs> Does it have a moat? <laughs> oh, you're still not over that yet. <laughs> I'm not. So that's our show of books that we are thankful for. What are you going to go read now? I am going to read a new publication from Restless Books. Who they came out this year. They've just been rocking it. Um, it's called The Cowboy Bible and Other Stories by Carlos uh, Velaquez. And it came with the Lucha Libre mask, which I've been wearing the entire time oh, while we've been recording. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your Instagram and I was like, what is that book? Yeah, it's, I don't want to take the mask off now. Like, I'm just going to, I'm assuming it has something to do with the book. It might not, <laughs> but the, the the thing on the front says, final artwork to be unmasked, which I think huh. is pretty funny. That's um, cute. Yeah, but now I want to fight crime and read books while I wear this thing. <laughs> fight crime, read books is the Liberty Hardy motto, I think. Mm, mostly just read books. <laughs> like fighting crime is cutting in on my reading time. Sorry, yeah, folks. read books and then like think about fighting yeah. crime, but just keep reading but books. They, uh, it is compared to uh, Hunter S. Thompson, Charles Bukowski, and William S. Burroughs. Speaking oh, of my perfect. real mansion, yeah, so, seriously. Um, I, sh- I read that to my boyfriend, and he's like, "I wish I had read that book twenty years ago." <laughs> That's like how to factory order a book for Liberty. Yeah. That's great. Um, I'm going to read Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. I've been reading romance, you know, very intentionally for the last several years and loving it. And everyone has always talked about how great Beverly Jenkins is. And then she was at Book Riot Live and she was really great. And I just somehow had never gotten to her. I've had her books on my pile, but Forbidden is one that's coming out either later in December or early next year. Um, And I'm really looking forward to just finally having my first Beverly Jenkins experience so that I can join that club. Um, she was great. It was really fun to meet her. I'm 100% confident that all the people who love her work are right. Uh, so I'm happy that I'm going to finally get to do that. Excellent. Yeah. So that is really it for us. We'll be back next week with a look at the um, best new releases for all of December. Um, in the meantime, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. We want to thank our sponsor, The Edge of Lost by Christina McMorris. You can get info at kensingtonbooks.com. It's available wherever books are sold. Don't forget to get your best books of 2015 box from the Book Riot store. 
store. That is store.bookriot.com. And if you get it, please don't spoil the contents for your friends on the internet. Um, hold on to that one for a little while. Also, if you like the show and you've got a minute, we would really appreciate your ratings and reviews on iTunes. It lets us know how we're doing. We do keep an eye on those, and it also helps other people to find the show in whatever iTunes magical recommendation algorithm is. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we do not have the time, but you can read about titles out uh, this week in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter where you can learn about books that are coming out in the coming weeks. Um, I almost forgot my words there. I was like, what? <laughs> books come out <laughs> yeah. on a time frame. <laughs> if, as long as they say books somewhere in there, it's pretty safe. Right. <laughs> So anyway, it's been delightful as always hanging out with you. It has been. It's such a nice way. It's Friday afternoon. This is the best possible way I can think of to wrap up the work week. Yes. So happy Happy reading. reading.